raise your hand. We have free Bibles um, that you can use for the service. And if you don't have a Bible, you, uh, you don't own one at all, uh, keep this Bible. And we even say, hey, if you have a friend that's been wanting a Bible and you, and you want to give them one, take it home and, and give it to the friend, okay? And so if you need a Bible, raise your hand high. Don't feel weird because I'm up here wearing a Christmas sweater. So, all right. All right. Have you guys, have you guys ever been treated better because of, of someone else in your life? Like, have you ever been treated better because you knew someone? It was, it was not based on anything you did, but it was because of someone else, right? So Nate Zyman, he used to be the, the worship leader here. I, uh, I got him a job at the school I used to work at called the Peak School, right? So, so I got Nate Zyman a job there, and, and they, they hired him basically just because they're like, hey, is he your friend, Anthony? I was like, yeah, he's my friend. And they're like, okay, that's good enough for us. And they hired him, and, and he was the music teacher there for a while. And then the, uh, a few weeks ago, I... Uh, was meeting uh, one of the pastors down in Redemption in the Valley. I was meeting his wife, and his wife had actually worked with my dad for a long time. And his wife was just so kind to me, and she was so happy to get to meet me because she had known my dad, and she loved my dad, and she loved working with him, and and he had kind of taken her under his wing at that job and shown her some things and been real kind and, and a joyful person to be around. And I remember another time when I was in eighth grade, I got a teacher who my sister uh, was her teacher first. So it was my sister's teacher before she was ever my teacher. And this teacher, when she met me, she said, oh, you're Bridget G's brother. Oh my gosh, you, you must be incredible. And then, and then a week later, she changed her mind. Um, and and this, is, this idea of having favor because of someone else is kind of what we're going to see expressed through the Davidic covenant. We're going to see this idea that we today, we get favor with God because of his relationship with David. And so, in in particular, it's a little bit more like the story uh, of my teacher liking me at first and then kind of started treating me different because of my own actions and sin. And so we've been going through this Advent series, and if you don't know what Advent means, it just means arrival or the coming of Christ, and it's the time of year or around Christmas where we celebrate that Jesus arrived as a baby, right? And we've been doing this Advent series called Covenant Christmas, and we've looked at all these covenants through the Old Testament, and, and we've seen how that these covenants really point to the arrival of Christ and what Christ is going to do in his life. And and I love the analogy that Vince has been using. He's been saying that these covenants in the Old Testament are like billboards, right? They're like billboards to see uh, the the soon arrival, or the not so soon in some cases, arrival of Christ. And so first we looked at Noah and his covenant with God, and we saw how that really, even though God wipes out the earth, he saves this one family, Noah's family, as an expression, as a billboard pointed to that God, through Jesus, wants to save the world one day. Right? We saw the covenant that God made with Noah, and then we saw the covenant God made with Abraham. And he did all sorts of things, like gave Abraham a new name, just like we have a new name when we begin to follow Christ. We are new creations. 
But we also saw that, that part of the covenant God made with Abraham was, was giving him this, this family, this multitude. Like, uh, right? Uh, we're all sons of, of Father Abraham, as the song says. And, and that's true today through Jesus. When we have faith in Jesus, you and me, if we both have faith in Jesus, we believe that you are my brother or sister in Christ. And so there's a huge family because of what Jesus did. And we saw a billboard of that in Abraham's life. And then last week we saw that Moses, he, he was this guy that led the people out of Egypt, and he was the mediator uh, uh, between the people of Israel and God, right? He would go to God, he would get the law, he would tell the people of Israel. And he was this mediator because the people of Israel were so afraid of God, they just, they didn't, uh, they, they sent Moses to be that mediator. And that was a billboard that Jesus would soon one day come and be our mediator, and so that's, that's, that's where, we at, where we're at. And today we're going to look at God's covenant with David, one of the most famous, famous characters in the Bible. And so I'm going to be talking a lot here and a lot of kind of narrative storytelling because we need the background to David's life before we get into uh, the covenant God made with him. And so last week we left off and Moses was telling the people of Israel, remember God. Right? He was telling the people of Israel, just remember God and follow his law. And, and he, it was almost like Moses saying, man, the easiest way to follow God's law is to remember what he did for us in Egypt, to remember that he has saved us, to remember what he did at the Red Sea. So um, some of, of Moses' group, they saw this promised land that God had promised them, and they said, man, there's giants over there. There's all kinds of crazy stuff. I, I, I don't want to go over there. And so God said, okay, fine. You don't want to go over there? 40 years in the desert till you all die. And then we'll send some of the younger dudes. And, and, and so that happens. And so they wander in the desert for 40 years. And then Moses' apprentice, Joshua, takes the people of Israel into the promised land. And over a number of years, they, they, they fight in battles. And they, they get the promised land that, that, that God promised to them. And, and Joshua lives his life, and Joshua's a really interesting character in the Bible. We don't really see him make any mistakes, and his name actually means salvation. And so we see Joshua kind of bring to fruition this covenant with Moses and bring to fruition this promised land to the people of Israel. And so Joshua lives his life. He gets to the end of it. They get Israel, and he tells the people of God kind of a similar uh, cry that Moses made at the end of his life to remember God, to follow his covenant. He says, as for me and my house, we will follow the Lord. Well, it takes approximately two generations before Israel, none of Israel is following God anymore. Everybody's just doing their own thing. And you'll see this in the book of Judges. And this kind of, in January, we're actually going to start and go through the book of Judges together. And, and they're just doing whatever they want. They're doing whatever they think is, is right or correct. And they, they start worshiping all these other gods of the nations around them, and they start letting the nations around them in and, 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 and worshiping their gods and building altars to their gods. And so God would send these nations in to, to, to get, bring judgment to the people of Israel. The people of Israel would be oppressed, and they would cry out to God, and then God would raise up these judges to save the people of Israel. And so uh, God would time in and time out, and then uh, time again, save the people of Israel through these judges. And the people of Israel kept turning to these other gods, these other idols of these other nations. And there was this last judge, and his name was Samuel. 
And Samuel was kind of this first guy in a long time who really loved and followed God, and he was, he was considered a prophet, even. And so he would speak the oracles of God to the people of Israel, and he kind of was leading them back to God. But the people of Israel, they got it in their minds that the real reason they were sinning was not because they were sinners, but because they didn't have a king. And they said, we, we, we need a king. And Samuel said, well, listen, we have a king. It's Yahweh. It's God. It's the God of the universe. And, and, and Israel said, no, 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 no. We need a king. Like, you know, like Canaan has a king and all these people around us, they have kings. We need a king too. And so Samuel goes to God and says, God, they want a king. I know, that's, I know you are our king. And God says, no, fine. Let's, let's give the people of Israel a king. This is what they want. They can see what having a king is like. And so this guy, Saul, is out walking around with his donkey one day, or looking for a donkey, actually. And uh, he's looking for his donkeys that got away. And uh, he's, he knows Samuel's nearby, and he knows he's this great man of God. So he goes to Samuel for a blessing. And, and God says, hey, this, this is the guy that I want you to make king. And now Saul, I'll give you a picture of him. This guy's straight Hemsworthing, okay? He's, he's tall, he's big, right? And if you don't know Hemsworth, that's Thor from Avengers, right? He, or, or Hunger Games, Gale, right? Beautiful men. And so, and so this guy, Saul, he's taller than everybody. He's really good looking. He's exactly like, if you're like, hey, if I'm going to make somebody king, I'm going to make this guy a king. And so th- this is exactly what Israel wanted. And so Samuel makes uh, Saul king, by, and, and God tells him to. And so Saul becomes king, and Saul is kind of, uh, uh, much like his looks, kind of a knucklehead. All right? And so Saul's kind of in it for, uh, for his own gain. Right? He, doesn't, he, he, he does follow God to some extent, but it seems like time and time again, he's in it for his own gain. And so ta- Saul makes two mistakes. The first is he, he is supposed to go to battle, and before he goes to battle, he's supposed to wait for Samuel to make a sacrifice. Right? So he instead, it's been seven days that they're waiting for Samuel, and Samuel doesn't show up, and he makes the sacrifice to God and then goes to battle. Samuel shows up. He gets mad. And you go, man, that's kind of a jacked up mistake for Saul. Or, like, it's, it's not that big of a deal. But the, the problem was, was Saul was trusting himself, right? Instre- instead of trusting God to bring Samuel at the, at the right time to make the sacrifice, Saul was like, man, I just want to do what I want to do. I want to build my kingdom. I don't need God. I don't need to hear from God. I'm just going to do what I'm going to do. And so, so, so Saul wasn't patient, uh, uh, waiting on the Lord. And, and Samuel didn't really like that. I mean, he had some words with Saul. And then the next mistake Saul made was he, uh, he was told to go and destroy the Amalekites completely. And I know that that's really tough for us to hear, but we have to in these moments trust that God is good and he's just and he knows what he's doing, right? And we have to be thankful that, that at least we, we, we're not sure and we're not told to, to, to work this way anymore. And, and so... Saul is told to completely destroy the Amalekites, and instead of destroying the Amalekites, he, he kills most of them, but he keeps the king alive, and then he was actually also told to destroy all their stuff. Like, God did not want Israel influenced by the Amalekites in any way, and so he was told to destroy all their stuff, including their livestock. And so Saul keeps all the livestock because he liked it. And so he keeps all this livestock, and, and Samuel rolls up, and he hears all these, new, these goats bleeding, and, and, and he says, why, why am I hearing these goats? What's going on? 
And so I was like, oh, yeah, well, you know, we kept the goats because we are going to make a sacrifice to God. <laughs> like, a good idea, right? And, and I think Samuel knew he was lying, right? And Samuel, from God, says, God's going to reject you as king now, Saul. God is going to reject you as king because Saul was not a king that was after God's heart. Saul was a king after his own kingdom. He was a king after his own rule. And so he makes these two mistakes, and, and God begins to reject Saul from being king. And so Samuel, this prophet, he's walking along one day, and he's told to go to this guy Jesse's house. And Jesse has all these sons, and God says, one of these sons is going to be the king of Israel. I want to anoint him. And, and so Samuel, first he picks the oldest. He goes, man, this guy's tall. He's good looking. You know, maybe he'll do a better job than Saul. And God says, no, that's, that's not who it is. And, and, and Samuel goes to the next guy. What about this one? He's, he's pretty cool too. And, and God, he goes through all these sons, and eventually Samuel's confused because he, he's like, God, why isn't it one of these, these big, taller sons? And, and God says, listen, I look at the heart, not at the outward appearance. I'm not like humankind. I'm God. I look at the heart, not at the outward appearance. And so Jesse's out of sons, and, and Samuel says, hey, do you have any other sons? And he goes, oh, there's this one in the field, you know, he, plays the harp, like forget him, right, right? He's an artsy guy, forget that guy. And, and, and Samuel goes, well, I think uh, that might be the king, so bring him in. And so they bring him in, David, and it says he's kind of a ruddy guy, but it also says he's handsome. And so uh, this family has good genes. And, uh, and, and God says, this, this, this boy David, he's the king, the new king of Israel. And so Samuel anoints him as king and says, man, you're king. Okay, and, but the problem is Saul is still king in all of Israel's eyes, right? He's the king they picked. Saul still has rule. The, the armies of Israel are still listening to him. And so David doesn't just become king right away. And what is weirder is Saul began to has, have these like kind of bouts with um, depression because he didn't feel the, the, the spirit of God like he once did because God was rejecting him as king. And so Saul, uh, he really liked listening to music, and coincidentally, someone's like, hey, I know this guy that plays the harp named David. And so David and Saul kind of uh, had this relationship where David would play the harp for Saul to, to chill him out and relax him. And during this time, traveling back and forth between Israel, there's this group of uh, this nation of people called the Philistines, and they, they were coming to Israel, and they wanted to take over Israel. And the way that they were taunting Israel is they had this giant named Goliath who would step out to the edge of the battle and say, hey, bring it on. Your God can't save you, and just mock Israel. And one day, David was bringing his brothers who were in the army lunch, and he saw this giant mocking Israel, and David didn't like that. Because as we see more of David, we see that David is actually a man after God's own heart. He's a man that has a relationship with God. He's a man that loves God. And so David sees this, this guy, Goliath, mocking Israel. And David knows about all the covenants that were made before him. He knows that this is the promised land for Israel. And so he, he pipes up. David says, hey, no, why are we letting this guy mock us? I'll go kill him. I'll just go straight kill him right now. And, and, and David's brother's like, dude, shut up, man. Go play your harp. And, and David, 
David then goes to King Saul, who he's kind of buddy-buddy with at this time. says, hey, man, I want to kill him. Uh, we can do it. We got God on our side. I, I know. Our God is bigger than that giant. And so uh, Saul says, okay, take my armor. And David's like, I don't need no armor. And so he just goes and gets a slingshot. And if you're me, you imagine this kind of slingshot when you're a kid, but it's really something like this. And, uh, and so he gets a sling. He brings five, only five rocks, right? And he just hits them on the first try, knocks them out takes his sword, cuts his head off, right? And you guys should read your Bibles. Like, it's, it's like Game of Thrones status in here in First and Second Samuel, seriously. And, uh, and, uh, and so David kills Goliath, and the people start being like, man, this guy, this guy is good, man. And we like this David guy. And, and Saul begins to kind of get jealous, and Saul, I think, knows that he's rejected as king, and he, he's worried, and he's like, is this the new king? Is this the king that God is raising up? And so uh, David is sent to more battles, and he just keeps winning, and he just keeps killing it because the favor of God is with him. And so uh, the people actually start singing about Saul and David, and they say, Saul has killed his thousands, but David has killed his tens of thousands. Well, Saul heard that song, and he didn't like it much, so he threw a spear at David one day when they were hanging out. And, uh, and David was like, what's going on? He's like, nothing, man, don't worry about it. And then he throws a spear again. And David's like, I'm out of here. And, and for the next few years, David is avoiding Saul, or in, and sometimes he'll interact with Saul because David loved Saul. He cared about his king because Saul was David's king from the time he was a boy. And so Saul would try all these different ways to, to kill David. He, he went to great lengths to do it. Um, but David, he was trusting that God would take care of Saul for him because David knew he was the next king. But he was trusting that God would take care of Saul for him. So David refused to kill Saul. David refused to kill Saul. He had, he had a lot of integrity. And, and, and soon uh, enough, Saul and his sons, most of his sons, die in battle. And, and then David becomes king and the people make David king. And and. He's a king that seeks God and what he does. Before he goes to battle, he prays about it. He, say, he says, God, are we supposed to even go to this battle? You know, he's, he's a God that worships God in, in ways that were strange to the people around him, but he loved God so much that, that he said, I'll, I'll, I'll become even more undignified than this to worship God. And most importantly, we see that, that David is a king after God's own heart. And so David is this king that Israel uh, thought they didn't need, but God gave them the king that they actually did need, a king that was after God's own heart. And so David just brings Israel kind of into this golden age. And there's this prophet Nathan that, that David would hang out with. And, and we see at the beginning of 2 Samuel in, in chapter 7, David, David says, hey, now, now that I'm king, I want to build God a house. Right? At that time, there was the Ark of the Covenant. And the Ark of the Covenant represented kind of God's physical presence on earth. And the Ark of the Covenant would go from place to place, from tent to tent. And so, so David said, I want to build God a house. And Nathan, who's a prophet, he says, that sounds like a good idea. And then Nathan goes and he prays about it. And he, he, God says, no, 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 I don't need a house. I, I haven't needed a house yet. Uh, and I don't want David to build me a house. And then in 2 Samuel 7, verse 8, we're going to see, so turn there, 2 Samuel 7, we're going to see God make a covenant with David. 
So in verse 8 of 2 Samuel chapter 7, and it says this, Now, therefore, you shall say to my servant David, this is God talking to Nathan, Thus says the Lord of hosts, I took you from the pasture, from following the sheep, that you should be prince over my people Israel. And I have been with you wherever you went and have cut off all your enemies from before you. And I will make you a great name, like the name of the great ones of the earth. And I will appoint a place for my people Israel and, and will plant them so that they may dwell in their own place and be disturbed no more. And violent men shall afflict them no more as formerly. From the time that I was appointed judges over my people Israel, and I will give you rest from all your enemies. Moreover, the Lord declare, declares to you that the Lord will make you, make you a house. We're going to stop there for a second. And so this is the, these are the opening lines of the covenant that God makes with David. And, and to refresh you on covenant, covenant is really kind of like a partnership that God makes with people throughout the Old Testament. It is a partnership to bring about God's mission on earth. And so God, he reviews how he's been faithful to David, how he saw David in the pasture tending the sheep. We see God again promise this land for the people of Israel. We see God promise David rest from his enemies. And then we see that, that God is telling David that I'm going to build you a house, David. I'm going to build you a house. God continues in, in verse 12. When your days are fulfilled and you lie down with your fathers, I will raise up your offspring after you who shall come from your body and I will establish his kingdom. He shall build a house for my name and I will establish the throne of his kingdom forever. I will be to him a father, and he shall be to me a son. When he commits iniquity, I will discipline him with the rod of men, with the stripes of the sons of men. But my steadfast love will not depart from him, as I took it from Saul, whom I put away before, from before you. And your house and your kingdom shall be made sure forever before me. Your throne shall be established forever." And this is the rest of the covenant that God makes with David, the rest of this partnership. And he says, I'm going to give you an offspring. And this offspring is actually going to build my house. This offspring is going to actually do what you want to do right now. And, and your offspring, are, they're going to be like sons to me. They're, they're, they're going to be like a son to me. And then, and then God, though, he says, man, if, you're, if your offspring sins, though, I will punish him. I will punish him, but my steadfast love, my unwavering love will not leave him. So even if he sins, my steadfast love will not leave him. And furthermore, David, I'm going to establish your throne forever. I'm going to establish your throne forever, David. I'm building your house, David. And then after this, we see David just offer up a prayer of thanks to God. Now, unfortunately, the story goes on and, and David gets older and, and David kind of becomes a mess. Now, he's always still a man after God's own heart and that's what differentiated him from Saul. But man, David really liked to sin in his old age. He, he does some crazy stuff with this lady he saw taking a bath. He kills her husband. He gets called out for it. He asks for repentance. 
But then he, he does some other things, and some things that even when we look at it uh, as we're reading 2 Samuel, 2 Samuel doesn't say how it's sin, but it just says that it's sin. And so, so David begins to sin more and more, and at the end of his life, he has all these sons, and, and the sons are all, like, David needs to straight up kill some of his sons because of how evil they are. But David just couldn't do it. And David, David just lets them hurt and harm people. And, and that's kind of how his sons act to the end of David's days, and eventually David dies. But God keeps his promise to David. He still raises up one of David's sons to be king. And he raises up this son named Solomon. And Solomon is this uh, kid that doesn't know what to do. And so God says, Solomon, what can I give you to help you be a better king of Israel? And, and Solomon says, just give, make me wise, God. Make me figure out how to do this thing. And so it says that God made Solomon the wisest man ever. And Solomon ushers in this, this, this golden age of Israel. And, and Solomon goes and he builds a temple for God, just like the covenant said. So Solomon goes and he builds a temple for God. And he actually builds uh, a, a palace for, for the line of David, for the kings of David, for himself. Now Solomon, again, gets to the end of his life, and we see that he has begun to sin. And, and what he did was he was marrying wives all over the place. He had like 700 wives or something crazy like that. And he has all these wives and concubines and all this stuff. And what's, uh, what's, what happens to be worse is that many of them are from different nations and neighboring nations. Now, I don't think the God of Israel is totally against intermarrying between nations, but what he was worried about is that when you marry someone and they care about something else, then you're going to care about it too. And so he married all these, these foreign wives, and they worshipped all these different false gods, and, and, and Solomon began to worship them too. And Solomon actually even would have altars built on mountains to the, his various wives' different gods. And God didn't like that, but God remembers his covenant with David, and instead of just take Solomon out, he let Solomon live the rest of his life as king because of his love for David. But then he takes the kingdom of Israel, and he, and he says, I'm taking it away from the line of David, but because of my steadfast love for David, I'm going to give him, I'm going to keep him with one tribe, and it ends up another tribe joins that tribe, and so he gives him Judah because God loves David that much, that, and, and God is keeping his covenant with David through his sons. And so David's sons <clears throat> kind of run over the southern area of Israel called Judah. And meanwhile, just Israel's just getting worse and worse. The kings of Israel are just worshiping other gods. They're doing whatever they want. They're, they're, they're not following God. There, there's some in there that were good and okay, but it, it just seems to get worse and worse and worse because the kings of, of Israel don't follow God. And so eventually God does exactly what he said. He said, I'm going to punish your offspring. And he, he takes away, he, he puts the people of Israel in exile. He lets foreign nations come in and take them out of their land. And all kinds of things happened during this time of exile. And one of those things was that, that God would raise up these prophets. And these prophets would, would remind Israel about God and remind Israel about the covenants. And in particular, the prophets would, would, would remind Israel that, that God made a covenant with David. 
And, and they knew that that covenant affected them because David was the king that led them to God. And they knew that that covenant affected them because it, it was about David's offspring. And one prophet, Amos, in chapter 9, verse 11, says this. It will be up on the screen. You don't have to turn there. It's kind of hard to find. Amos says this. He says, In that day I will raise up the booth of David that has fallen. Booth could just mean tent or house. And repair its breaches and raise up its ruins and rebuild it as in the days of old that they may possess the remnant of Edom. That's Israel. And all the nations who are called by my name declares the Lord who does this. And all the nations who are called by my name declares the Lord who does this. And so we see that God, he is keeping his covenant with David, even though David's sons didn't live up to their end of the deal. David's sons didn't live up to their end of the deal. So God's steadfast love stays with Israel and David through this time. And he says, you know what? I'm going to actually raise up David's kingship again. I'm going to raise up. Now, he doesn't mean David literally, because David is long dead by this point. But he means a king in the line of David. And if you look at the beginning of Matthew chapter 1 and Luke, you're going to find that there is this well-documented chronology of the line of David. And that God, through all those years, he could have wiped out David's line. He could have stopped David's line. He kept David's line going. And it goes all the way down to this guy named Joseph. And Joseph is in the line of David, and he's dating this girl named Mary. And they get engaged. And then Mary tells him, hey, I'm pregnant. And Joseph is like, word? <laughs> like, how did that happen? Because it wasn't, it's not my kid. And, and, and we find out that, and, and Joseph hears from some angels. And remember, Joseph's in the line of David. And the angels say, hey, this, I have put my son, my literal son, inside Mary. Still marry her, okay? You can trust me. And so Joseph marries her, and she has this baby named Jesus, whose name also means salvation, in the line of David. And Jesus comes, and he fulfills the covenant in ways that David's sons couldn't. Like, he's the better son of David. Because first of all, his sons, David's sons, they all sinned, and they messed up. Jesus is the better son because he does not sin. He lives perfectly. And then we see that Jesus, he, he builds a house of God that lasts forever. And not only do I think that Jesus is, is somehow doing this in heaven, but I think in another way, he builds a house of God better than David ever could because he ushers in a time where the Holy Spirit can dwell in us as people. And he makes that possible where the Holy Spirit can make his home in us. And what's interesting is David's sons were punished for their iniquity. But Jesus was punished for their iniquity as well. Jesus was punished far greater for their iniquity than they were because Jesus never sinned. And we know the story. Jesus went to the cross for you and for me. And so he thus fulfills the covenant of God and he becomes an even better son of David. An even better son of David. And through the cross, if you trust that Jesus died on the cross for your sins and my sins, now just like Amos said, or Amos, however you want to say it, uh, 
the nations can be saved. The nations can be rebuilt in the line of David. And then Jesus dies, taking on the sin of the world, but he raises from the dead three days later to share in life with me and you. And I think through the Davidic covenant, we really see God's steadfast love. Right? We see God's unwavering love. Because after David dies, things just get crazy. His, his sons worship all kinds of gods. Israel as a whole worships all kinds of gods. They, they, don't, they, they forget the God of the universe. But we see that God loved the nations, that's you and me, enough to keep David's line going. God loves them enough that he's going to bring a son of David that is far greater than any of the other sons of David, one that's perfect, that's, uh, one that is actually to God a son, like he said in the covenant, the actual son of God. And I think God has that steadfast love for me and for you because he cared enough to bring about his son to bring our salvation. His love is unwavering for me and for you. And he does all these things throughout history to make sure that we might know him and love him. You know, a quick story of where I've seen God's steadfast love. In in high school, I'm going to call this guy John to keep his story private. But in high school, I knew this guy John. And and the reason I got to know him was because his mom, Diane, worked uh, or watched my brother in aftercare. Uh, at his school. And so she said, hey, go find John. And so I find John. John is this punk rock, three-foot-long Mohawk kid, looks straight out of Ramon's video. And, and so I, I build this friendship with John, and, and uh, he, I start giving him rides home, and uh, I had Christian radio in my car on, and, he, and we would get in these uh, almost debates, but we would just get in these conversations about God, and he was a complete atheist, didn't believe in God at all. And so John, uh, he eventually, um, we kind of just stopped talking about God, and, uh, and he didn't need to ride at home as much. But then months later, he was like, hey, man, I think I got to start going to church. And I was like, well, that's awesome. I was like, yeah, come to church with me. Come to youth group. And so we start going to youth group. And then eventually, John, actually, he comes to youth camp with me. And so, and he was really hesitant. Like, he was like, no, man, I'm not for organized religion, punk rock forever, right? And, and so John comes to this camp with me, and I think he has a real encounter with God of some sort. He has a real encounter with Jesus because he, he starts saying, yeah, I think Jesus is God. But he didn't want to call himself a Christian because I think, one, he didn't really truly have faith in, in Christ quite yet. And two, he hated organized religion. And right after that, all these bad things started happening to John. His, you know, he let me know that, that his mom struggled with addiction to meth, Diane. His dad got diagnosed with prostate cancer and given only so much time to live. And John kind of fell by the wayside because I think as a 17 or 18-year-old or whatever I was, I think I didn't know what to do in that situation. And so me and John, we, we remained friends, but I graduated high school and he was a couple grades lower than me. And so uh, I didn't really get to, to be a part of his life. And then a few years ago, I moved up here. And I get this random message from John on Facebook. And he says, hey man, what's the name of that church that we used to go to? And I, I'm getting excited because this is a guy I've been praying for for years. And and I said, well, it was, it was called Grace Chapel. And he said, yeah, my mom, you know, my dad just died. And my mom is reeling, and she's just really hurting. I want to send her to church. And so he sends his mom, Diane, to church. 
And actually what happened was I just gave Diane my mom's phone number. My mom and Diane that night or the next night just talked uh, for quite a while, just about God and everything. And so they, Diane starts going with my parents to church. And Diane gets saved. She accepts Christ. And about a year ago, she got baptized. And I can't help but see God's steadfast love through this, these two people. That God loves them enough that she had her militant atheist son bring her to church and bring her to God. And the reason it means a lot to me is this past Wednesday, Diane died. Diane died just randomly. One of her sons found her in bed, and we don't, we don't know what happened. And her son, John, is, is not a believer yet. But he called both me and my dad, and he can't help but see that God had worked through her life. He can't help but acknowledge that God had done something in her life. I think God's love for you is that great. God's love is steadfast. That he's, he's going to do everything he can that you might reach out and find him. And this Christmas season, as we celebrate that God kept the line of David alive through Jesus and brought baby Jesus so that we might be saved, I want you guys to think about ways that God's steadfast love has been extended to you. Ways where you're like, man, this is God speaking to me. And so our application points, our action points for today is to remember God's steadfast love, to think about where he has loved you. The next action point for us or application is love people the way God does. Love people steadfastly. Love your enemies steadfastly. Love your friends steadfastly. Love everyone steadfastly so that they might see a glimpse of the God of the universe in you. And then on top of that, tell people about God's steadfast love this Christmas season. Right? We can say, oh, we celebrate Christmas because of the birth of Jesus, and, and that's true. But what if we expanded that and, and, and we looked at how God's love was so steadfast towards the nations and David's line by bringing Jesus? So tell people about this steadfast love. So people, I think we as a congregation need to do those things. We need to tell people that the birth of Jesus is really a story of God's steadfast love. Amen? All right, pray with me. God, I thank you for your steadfast love. First, you extended it to David, the man after your own heart, and now you extend it to me and the nations, you say. God, help us to have eyes to see where you have steadfast love for us. Help us to see specific things that happen that were not coincidences, but you reaching out, trying to tell us of your steadfast love. God, help us to be a people that love you well. Help us to be a people that see your steadfast love. And God, this next week as we celebrate Christmas, the biggest shining example of your steadfast and unwavering love, help us to tell people. Help us to let people know how beautiful you are, how loving you are, how steadfast and unwavering your love for us is. And I just pray all of these things in your mighty holy name, Jesus. Amen.